Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, refusing to take no for an answer. The rigor and the scrutiny of a public inquiry is the only path to reinstill confidence in our electoral system. Will he fire this fake rapporteur? The House of Commons returns, reacting for the first time as a whole to the special rapporteur, David Johnston. The former Gigi says a public review of classified intelligence cannot be done. But what do MPs think? We'll dig into that and... We're going to be able to uh, win enough votes to form government on Monday. The battle for Alberta. After a tight four-week campaign, Albertans are casting their ballots. Will this be the nail-biter many had predicted? We'll speak with Alberta columnist Graham Thompson. This is Primetime Politics. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Serapio. MPs return to the House of Commons today after a week-long break and still top of mind, the Special Rapporteur David Johnston and his conclusion that a public inquiry is not the best way forward to address foreign interference. The Prime Minister has already said he will follow Johnston's recommendation, which prompted this reaction in the House today. The government will not pull me into a room, stamp public documents secret and then tell me I can't speak because we need to speak about the fact that Beijing interfered to help the Prime Minister in two successive elections. That Beijing threatened members of Parliament to try and win influence and that Beijing gave $140,000 to the Trudeau Foundation to buy the favour of this Prime Minister. And then he names a former member of the Trudeau Foundation and a ski buddy to look into the matter who has now only tried to cover it up. Will he fire this fake rapporteur and call a public inquiry now? The Honourable Minister for Public Safety. It is the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada who is silencing himself by refusing to take the briefings. It is the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada who is covering his own eyes from the same information that Mr. Johnston had access to, which other nonpartisan professional public servants had access to, and it leaves Canadians wondering why. Is it because he would rather play partisan games than do the hard work? I think we know the answer to that question, and it's yes. Well, joining us now is Talib Nur Mohammed, the Liberal MP for Vancouver Granville. He sits on the Commons Committee on Public Safety and National Security. And we're also joined by Peter Julian, the NDP House Leader and the MP of New Westminster Burnaby, both from beautiful British Columbia. Hello to both of you. Good to be with you. Good to be here. Listen, uh, Mr. Nur Mohammed, I'll get you to start us off here because, you know, the special rapporteur, as you know, uh, submitted his report last Monday. People still reacting to it, some questioning the conclusion, others uh, being far less polite. Can the prime minister really hold back a public inquiry if Canadians are unwilling to accept that decision, that conclusion from Mr. Johnston? I think first it's very important to note that the report itself, and I would encourage everyone, parliamentarians, Canadians, to read this report because the report is excellent in the ground that it covers and the recommendations that it makes and the next steps that it lays out. I think the important thing to remind people is that a public inquiry by its very definition requires the public disclosure of materials. The challenge, as Mr. Johnson, Johnson has rightly noted, is that many of the materials, much of the information in question is classified. That by its very nature cannot be put into the public 
public domain without risk risking sources and methods, without risking our partnerships with our allies, and frankly, without risking the people that keep our country safe. So I think it's important for us to figure out what that line is, to take the recommendations that Mr. Johnson has put into place, and indeed, he has recommended uh, public consultations, particularly with communities that are affected, and we need to make sure we do this work, and that work is done in a way that gives Canadians the confidence in knowing that their democracy continues to be safe. Uh, you look at the track record of what our government has done since 2015, when you know, we first became aware of these, we've all been aware of these problems. When we took office, our government has taken steps consistently as threats have emerged to respond to those threats and to get ahead of those threats, whether it was setting up the Committee of Parliamentarians, whether it was setting up NSERA, whether it was setting up uh, the group of public servants that are there to monitor the integrity of our elections. All of these steps are steps that our government has taken in response to make sure that our elections are free and fair, and that they are decided by Canadians and Canadians only. And the report is very clear that the elections in 2019 and 2021, despite the efforts of others, were indeed free, fair, and decided by Canadians and Canadians only. So we have to make sure that we don't lose sight of that in, this, in, in, in all of this conversation. What we do need to be looking forward to is how do we improve? How do we learn? How do we respond to emerging and evolving threats? And that's precisely uh, what Mr. Johnson's work uh, seeks to do. Okay, Mr. Julian, a lot uh, uh, put out there uh, by, by your Liberal colleague. I'm wondering what your reaction to it is. Because, you know, if you look at uh, what Mr. Johnston said, he says that there was no wrongdoing committed here and that... Intelligence means that a public inquiry would be dealing with sensitive information. How do you respond to that? Well, we, we've had public inquiries that have dealt with sensitive information. That, that the, you, you structure a firewall around. This is the, the question of how, not whether or not to hold a public inquiry. We, we voted uh, as parliamentarians at the end of March uh, to an NDP motion. <coughs> all independent MPs, all parties except for the Liberals, voted in favor of the motion to hold a public inquiry. And, and I think the fact that Mr. Johnstone uh, did not uh, listen to that very uh, clear input from parliamentarians across party lines, I, I think erodes the confidence and the trust in him. So tomorrow, uh, the NDP is tabling a motion, as you're well aware, uh, that is going to reinforce, reiterate in a, in a stronger way the importance of having a public inquiry as quickly as possible, ensuring as well that uh, that that lack of confidence in Mr. Johnson is something that parliamentarians can vote on. They can decide whether or not they have confidence in him to continue to play his role. And then thirdly, the, the issue of actually referring to procedure in House Affairs to make sure that, that that committee can start the work of finding the appropriate person to head the public inquiry and the mandate around that. These are all things that have to happen. The NDP, Jagmeet Singh is the adult in the room yet again. The Conservatives don't even show up uh, to defend their positions in the House of Commons. They don't show up to interview shows. Uh, the reality is uh, that we need an adult, and Jagmeet Singh is that adult, both uh, getting the the security screen so that he can evaluate the material, but also putting forward the motion tomorrow that should be conclusive. And the, the government has a moral obligation to act when parliamentarians, uh, if, if the vote succeeds twice, have very clearly indicated the majority of parliamentarians have said that public inquiry needs to be called. Uh, the Prime Minister has that obligation, that moral obligation, to follow that direction from parliamentarians of all party lines. Okay, but, but if... if Mr. Johnston does step aside as your motion, again, to be debated tomorrow, calls for. If a second rapporteur comes to the same conclusion, will you then accept it? No, what we're saying is we need a public inquiry. And so the procedure in House Affairs Committee uh, we'll start the work following the passage of our motion, if it passes this week, uh, to actually put in place 
the recommendation from all parties uh, to choose the person to head the public inquiry and the mandate around them, which would include, of course, the firewall for any sensitive material. That this isn't, it's a kind of a red herring to talk about sensitive material when public inquiries generally deal with sensitive material. The, the real question is how best to put a framework or a firewall around that sensitive information so it doesn't become public. Mm -hmm. Mr. Nur Mohammed, what's your reaction to that, this idea that the, this will, again, be debated in the House tomorrow? And given what we already know first time around, this is minority parliament. The vast majority of the members of parliament will be calling for a public inquiry. Well, again, I go back to two things. First of all, and I think uh, my friend uh, Peter made a very, very important point. He said, look, you know, we've got a leader of the opposite. We've got a leader, one of the leaders of the parties in Jagmeet Singh, who has taken the time to go and get his clearance. I would encourage leader of the opposition, who is so deeply, if he is as deeply concerned about national security as he, as he purports to be, he should go get his security clearance, he should go and read the materials, he should understand the annexes to this report that are currently not available to him because he does not have a security clearance. And I think what we need to remind people of, remind Canadians of, is that we have continued to take the steps to keep this country and our elections safe. We're going to keep doing that. You know, people have different points of view on whether or not we should be declassifying materials, whether we should be putting all of this into, into the public domain. Here are the things that we need to be aware of. First of all, there are recommendations in Mr. Johnson's report that acknowledge that we need to be looking at some things differently, and I think everybody is very clear on what those are. We need to act on that, number one. Number two, there are communities that are directly impacted by foreign interference. We need to be sitting down with those communities to make sure that they continue to feel safe you know, in this country, in this democracy. And there is this whole issue of parliamentarians. Look, whether, it doesn't matter what party a parliamentarian belongs to, an attack or an attempt on any single one of us is an attack or an attempt on all of us. And I think we need to put partisanship aside and make sure we are focusing on strengthening our institutions in a way that allows all of us to do the jobs that we do as parliamentarians representing Canadians in a way that allows us to feel safe and our but, families to feel safe. And, and so here, here's the difficulty. We've had a prime minister who's refused to take this issue seriously. We have a leader of the opposition, the Conservative Party, that has, has turned this into uh, some kind of tawdry game. And you've got Jagmeet Singh, who is uh, showing the leadership both to get the information required, but also saying very clearly the way most Canadians feel, we need a public inquiry into foreign interference, whether that's Chinese or Russian. Uh, certainly there was a lot of Russian interference in the convoy that took over downtown Ottawa and, and caused such misery here and across the country. Uh, the, the issue around uh, interference from the Indian government, from the Iranian government, these are issues that need to be taken seriously. A public inquiry will help to clear the air. It can be done in such a way uh, that sensitive information is not uh, put out in the public. Uh, and, and Jagmeet Singh seems to be the only political leader that is stepping up, both judging the importance of the issue, but also treating it in the adult way that it needs to be treated. Mm -hmm. Mr. Mohammed, uh, you know, Mr. Julian's talking about leaders here. We did hear the Conservative leader today alleging that China China interfered in the last two elections to help your party. Don't liberals want to exonerate themselves of that charge? Wouldn't a public inquiry be beneficial for your party as well, given all the speculation that it has raised? Well, I think you've now spoken to, I think, precisely the challenge that Canadians and our democracy have to deal with, and that is the way in which Mr. Polyev has chosen to play with this issue. Aaron O'Toole, who lost the last election as Conservative leader, came out and said that the election was free, fair, and decided by Canadians and Canadians alone. Every single individual, group, committee, etc., has come out and said the Chinese did not impact the outcome of the last election or the one before that. The idea that Mr. Polyev has chosen to go down this route tells us something 
you know, about, tells us more about him than about the challenge ahead of us. If we are really concerned as Canadians about the challenge ahead of us, we should be looking at the work that Mr. Johnson has done. We should allow him to finish his work. We should look at those recommendations, lean into those recommendations, and do the work that is required. We have two groups, NCIRA and NCICOP, the two organizations that have the highest level of clearance, one of which, by the way, is made up of parliamentarians from all parties who are tasked with looking at, the, looking at the evidence, coming up with their own recommendations. We should let them do their work. We should see what recommendations they come back with, and we should act on those recommendations. The I idea guess, that a public inquiry is the only but I guess, way out. But I guess the problem, though, uh, Mr. Nurmuhammed, excuse me for jumping in here, but you know, on the one hand, the law must be administered. On the other, the law must, seen, must see, uh, be seen to be administered properly. So uh, you might be saying that it will be administered, but for the, for the vast majority of the Canadian public, at least those who are speaking out, they want to be able to see it for themselves. Why not allow that to happen? The idea that national security, that, that classified materials should be put out into the public domain That's not the is the idea that we can just simply say we're going to throw out all of the rules and put that, put that into the domain, into public domain, is not right. And most Canadians are reasonable-minded people that would say that. I think it's really important, and I would encourage everybody to read the report. Read what is in the report. Let Mr. Johnson finish his work. Have the consultations. Let NCIRA and NCICOP do their work. Make those recommendations. Public inquiries deal with sensitive material. This is a red herring, and, and the Liberals keep going around in circles rather than taking this issue seriously. And you're absolutely right to point out the public needs to have confidence in our electoral system. I think it's fair to say that, that the previous elections were free and fair. Canadians want to make sure all elections are free and fair, and that's why a public inquiry is so warranted and so needed by the Canadian public. And it, it just, is, I'm, I think Jagmeet Singh has shown the right approach. I'm very dismayed by the Prime Minister refusing to acknowledge that this is an important point that needs to be responded to. And then you've got Pierre Polyev uh, off with his little childish tantrums. It's simply the time that we have adults, people working as adults, public officials saying, yes, a public inquiry is warranted. Let's put, let's put that box around it, a firewall around sensitive material, and let's proceed in a way that gives Canadians confidence in their electoral well, system. If that is the requirement, that on, on that basis, my friend should be very, very happy with where things have gone because in 2015, after our government was elected, we put in place measures. We did that. We put in the, pressure, the, the, the steps, the groups, the committees, the processes in place to keep our elections safe. 2019, 2021, there is no question about those elections. Nobody has said that we should not be looking at the challenges of the future. That is precisely what we have said. But we have responded. So but we have responded. We have responded. We have responded to the challenges that this country faces. We have put in place the measures that have kept these elections safe. That is precisely what we are going to keep doing. And the idea that there is only one way to solve this problem, that is a public inquiry, is simply wrong. There are many things that need to be done that protect the people that keep this country safe in our intelligence services. We have to protect our methods and sources, and we have to ensure that we respect our relationships with our allies around intelligence. These are non-negotiables for our country. Okay. If, the vote, if the vote is a majority of parliamentarians for the second time uh, demanding a public inquiry, the Prime Minister has a democratic obligation to call that public inquiry. So this vote this week, I think, will be of, of, of interest to all Canadians. Okay, well, we continue to watch uh, Talib Nur Mohammed, Peter Julian, thank you for the time this evening. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let's take a look now at the other stories making headlines today. We um, can only imagine the, the fear that you're, that you're feeling, the uncertainty.
your feeling uh, about when you will be able to return to, to your home, what you may be returning to. Well, that was the Nova Scotia Premier and his message to thousands of people forced to evacuate because of wildfires. Tim Houston is pledging financial support for evacuees and for volunteer firefighters. Crews are working to control two fires that sparked over the weekend and remain out of control today. One fire is in the Halifax suburbs, the other in Shelburne County. Nearby provinces have sent help and the federal government is promising support. I declare the motion defeated. The House of Commons is rejecting a Conservative motion to shut down the federal safe drug program. Conservatives say it allows for cheap opioids to flood the streets and want the funds diverted to treatment. But all other parties voted against the motion. The government arguing by targeting toxic drugs, the program is saving lives while still creating opportunities for treatment. And as we just heard from Peter Julian, tomorrow MPs will debate an NDP motion that calls for a public inquiry on foreign interference and calling for David Johnston to step aside as special rapporteur. Jagmeet Singh says the perception of bias has grown too strong for Johnston to be effective. And that's why in our motion we'll be calling for the House to vote on Mr. Johnston being uh, stepping aside as a special rapporteur in order to go about this process in a way that does reinstill confidence in our electoral system and in the process. And we will follow that debate for you tomorrow right here on CPAC and on Primetime Politics. We're now just hours away from knowing which party will form the next Alberta government. For the last four weeks, the UCP's Danielle Smith and the NDP's Rachel Notley have crisscrossed the province. But nowhere in Alberta has more time and resources been spent than Calgary. It is that city's 26 ridings that will ultimately decide who wins. This after a campaign which has focused largely on the economy and the issue of leadership. Choosing stable, predictable leadership. They're choosing leadership that they can count on. They're choosing leadership that will be focused on their priorities, on better health care, on making sure that people can have access to a family doctor. Making sure that we get schools built in communities just like this one. help with the affordability crisis that they feel that they're experiencing at the end of each month as they sit around their kitchen table. We are there for them. We are going to make life more affordable for Albertans. And what does the NDP have? They've got nothing more than fear and negativity and misinformation. In fact, scaremongering has been their entire campaign strategy. Other than promising to raise taxes, of course, and that's because they don't want to talk about their plan to raise taxes and spend recklessly. And while the UCP is running on a record of success and economic growth, because it's a record we can be proud of, Rachel Notley is running away from her record as Premier because she wants you to forget it. She increased personal income taxes. People fled the province by the tens of thousands. She raised business taxes on job creators. Businesses closed and investment fled the province. Now she's promising to do the exact same thing she did last time by raising business taxes by 38%. 
She brought in a carbon tax that she never ran on. People left this province for 13 consecutive quarters looking for opportunities elsewhere, and she still supports Trudeau's planned 300% carbon tax increase even today. The UCP leader there, Danielle Smith, followed by Alberta NDP leader Rachel Notley. Well, for more, we're now joined by Alberta columnist Graham Thompson. Graham, thank you for joining us on such a busy night. It's my pleasure. Now, you know, we, we look at these numbers and, and the last group of polls uh, going into tonight, they still give the UCP the advantage. But for, for the most of the numbers, they are within the, this margin of error. Are you surprised at how close this race has been and really right up to the end? Well, no, and a surprise in the sense that uh, we saw this coming before the election. The NDP actually was ahead in many polls uh, over the last year or so. But we could see it narrowing. But we did see a really close battle coming up. And it's remained that way throughout the election. I think it's, it's difficult to say, you know, um, what's going to happen because of many factors what's happening right now. But we've known for some time the battle will likely be in Calgary that Edmonton will likely go to the NDP, all 20 seats, there's 41 seats outside the big cities. They'll mostly go to the UCP. That so comes down to 26 seats in Calgary. And the thing is, even some of those uh, ridings themselves are a toss-up. So it's been really close, a closely fought uh, battle. And the fact that it's still close, to me, is not surprising. To me, it's interesting and new. This is, this is number 11 in terms of provincial elections I've covered. And I've never seen anything this close, because normally in Alberta, you know who's going to win before the ballots are even counted. And the thing is, today, still a big question mark. Now, is that because of the leader here? Because we've been watching the NDP these past four weeks. They really want to make this essentially a referendum on Danielle Smith. How much of this close race is because of Smith? That's a really good question. I think this is a close race because of Smith. She is so controversial. She has said and done so many controversial things, not just, you know, months or years ago, but you know, days ago in the sense of, um, you know, just being found uh, to have breached Conflicts of Interest Act because of that telephone call she made to the Attorney General to try and help out someone facing criminal charges involving the Coots border blockade. So controversies have followed her. She creates her own controversies. So I think if the UCP had got another leader like uh, Travis Tapes, the finance minister who finished second last year in the leadership race, I think the UCP would be headed to a comfortable 50-55 seat majority. As it stands now, arguably, the reason it's such a tight race is because of Smith. When it comes to issues of trust and leadership, polls have shown that Albertans tend to trust Rachel Notley, the NDP leader, over Danielle Smith. So even though Smith has tried to change the narrative, and maybe we'll see if she's actually succeeded, because she's putting forward a much more moderate, uh, reasonable face, much different than the face that she put forward last year during that very divisive, angry UCP leadership race. And we'll see if that actually is paying dividends for her. And because look, she knew she couldn't campaign on the anger and divisiveness, and she's spending as well as being moderate $68 billion, a record amount of spending thanks to oil prices, money flowing into the Treasury. And so this is something she's doing as well. Because look, Albertans love a government that can give them low taxes, high spending, and a balanced budget. And Smith is giving them that. 
because of the price of oil. Well, and, and not only that, that's, that is her campaign platform, right? Because if, if the NDP is trying to make this uh, about Danielle Smith's leadership, the, the, the UCP is trying to make this about the, the, the economic credentials of, of Rachel Notley and telling essentially Albertans you can't trust it. What is it about the NDP, though? Because, the, you know, if you go to the polls, most of them show that the Albertans do prefer, prefer Rachel Notley as a leader, but they cannot get behind the NDP. What's that all about? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, the NDP is attacking Smith, whereas the UCP is attacking the NDP. You know, because I think they know people like Rachel Notley. The thing is, the NDP. A couple of things about the NDP. Of course, you know, they would say it's a socialist uh, party, and that the NDP were in power from 2015 to 2019. They brought in a carbon tax and destroyed the economy. The reason we had a recession uh, while the NDP was in power was because of the price of oil. It dropped just as it's helping the UCP now because the prices uh, got all kinds of money flowing in. So you have this record. It's ironic. When it comes to having a record as premier, Rachel Notley has one, and Daniel Smith doesn't. Smith was uh, made premier during that UCP leadership race last October, in power really for seven months, doesn't have really much of a record as premier, whereas Notley has a record during a recession. So this is a problem. For the NDP, you've got the UCP saying, look, they're a socialist um, a government. They would destroy our economy. Look what happened last time. So that's what's happening here. But the thing is, we're going to wonder, will it be that kind of knee-jerk reaction from Albertans? And one reason why it's still such a close race is because it seems that Albertans are rejecting that sort of black and white analogy from the UCP. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, um, I got I got a couple of minutes here, and I do want to ask one question though, because you know, if Rachel Notley and the NDP win, obviously we know her job is secure. But if Danielle Smith wins, is her job secure, given the number of questions being asked about her leadership, even within the UCP ranks? Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because you're right. You need 44 seats for a majority, a simple majority in this. Um, Legislature. So if the NDP gets 44, 45 seats, they'll be dancing in the streets. They'll be really, really happy. And you're right, Notley will be secure. Whereas if Daniel Smith gets 44, 45 seats, is a real problem because last election, the UCP got 63 seats. Now, they, they could lose 19 seats and still win a uh, majority, a very, 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 very small majority. But if, if Smith, you know, if she loses, she's out. If she gets 44, 45 seats, uh, there'll be real trouble a day, days ahead for her because the party will be thinking, hey, wait a minute, you took us down like 19, 20, 21 seats. That is not good. Now, this could bring a civil war into the UCP because if the NDP wins, or even if the UCP wins by a tiny uh, majority, it means that UCP is going to be sort of more of a rural-based party, having lost so many seats in Calgary and all of them in Edmonton. That's going to cause a problem for the UCP. Yes. Yeah, so if Smith doesn't win a comfortable majority, that means real trouble for her in the days ahead. And we've seen in the past how the conservatives in this, this province are eager to kick out premiers who are failing. And I think this could be a problem for Smith. We've already heard from uh, insiders, candidates on, uh, I've talked to, who think that if Smith just gets a small majority, the knives will be out for her over the summer. Graham Thompson, thank you for the time. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, Graham Thompson.
Now, as I said, Calgary's 26 ridings will be pivotal in tonight's final result. And last week, while we were in Calgary, we had a chance to speak with the city's mayor about the priorities she would like the next provincial government to pursue. Here is Mayor Jody Gondek. There's a lot at stake for Calgary, and we have been very consistent over time in talking about the things where we really need a solid partnership with the provincial government. We've been very clear that affordable housing is a top priority, not only for the city of Calgary, but our residents are telling us the same thing. Calgary Economic Development has told us that our competitive advantage relies on having housing affordability. So that is top of mind for us. We want to make sure that we're able to offer a strong public transit network that is safe for users and really we want to make sure we're investing in our downtown and really turning it into a community where there's a solid opportunity for housing as well as a business district. And I would say infrastructure investments are really important to Calgarians. We want to make sure that we are building a strong downtown. We want to make sure we have great places for people to come together, great gathering spots. And people just want to know that we've got a provincial government that will work with us as a partner to ensure that we have a solid, certain and predictable funding stream. Mayor Gondek was just one of several people we spoke with while in Calgary last week. You can watch our full special, Alberta Votes 2023. You can see it on demand at cpac.ca. And you can also watch the live results come in on our website tonight, courtesy our friends at Global News. But for now, I'm Michael Serapio. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for joining us this evening. We'll see you again tomorrow.